but interesting nonetheless. Let's uh, turn to Mark chapter 1, and we're going to read just 15 or so verses. But before we do that, let's pray. Lord, you are the one who made all things, and you are the creator God. And we marvel at the complexity of your creation. Lord, you at a word made everything, and it takes us 10 years or 14 years and $10 billion to even think that maybe we might have perhaps found something. How awesome are you, Jesus? How awesome are you? With what power do you speak? Lord, you do hold all things together. Without you, there is nothing, and there would be nothing, and one day you will make everything brand new. Lord, you spoke, and the world was created. You spoke, and you gave sight to the blind. You spoke and you healed the sick. You spoke and the demons cried out and fled. You spoke and the storm was stilled. The waves stopped and the wind ceased. Lord, you cried out on the cross and the veil in the temple was torn. Lord, you spoke and said, I will come on the third day back to life again. God will do this. And it happened. God, you spoke and said that one day you are coming back, Jesus. And we long for that. And in the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets. But in these days, he has spoken to us directly by his Son. Oh, Jesus, that we would hear your voice. Oh, Jesus, that we would hear your voice. Lord, that we would not be so caught up with the white noise of the wonder of what you have made that we do not stop and hear the voice of the Creator. Oh, Jesus, that we would hear your voice and see your power and want to know who you are. More want to know you. Lord, help us to follow after you and listen closely to you. Lord, you still speak today as your spirit brings to mind the things of Christ. And I pray that right now you would speak into our hearts and into our minds and lives and actions and thoughts and, and our very beings, Lord. Holy Spirit, please take the disease, these lips of mine, Lord, which are, which are just ordinary lips and just like anyone else here. But would you use what I am going to say? Would you, by your spirit, use it to point people to Christ? to know something of who you are. Speak, Jesus, we pray. Amen.
Mark chapter 1, verse 15. Uh, You'll remember verse 15, we read it last week. Uh, So John, remember last week, we we heard the basic introduction about the gospel. Uh, John coming, we were saying the king is coming. The big news, the kingdom of God is near. And we finished with Jesus going out after John's arrest saying to people, preaching, hey, repent, turn, change your life 180 degrees because God's kingdom is near. And we, and we said actually it's, it's more than near, it's, it's, it's actually here. Uh, it is still coming when Jesus returns, but, but in a way, with the king there, here is the kingdom of God. So, the time promised by God has come at last, said Jesus. Oh, what a wonderful, what a wonderful way to put it, eh? He doesn't say, yeah, the kingdom of God is here. He, says, he doesn't say, oh, look back at the prophecies. He just says, yeah, the kingdom is here. God promised it and it's happened. Uh, the kingdom of God is near. Repent of your sins and believe the good news. Now one day, as Jesus was walking along the shore of the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew throwing a net into the water for they fished for a living. Jesus called out to them, come. Follow me, and I will show you how to fish for people. And they left their nets after a while. Now, now this is Mark. And they left their nets at once, and they followed him. Not just because it's Mark, but I like how, remember we said Mark is the gospel, it's the action gospel. You'd need really fast-paced drums and music, and I mean, he goes for it. So Jesus calls out to Simon and Andrew and, and, and says, Come, I'll teach you how to fish for men. Uh, for people, and they left their nets at once and followed him. And a little further up the shore, Jesus saw Zebedee's sons, James and John, in a boat repairing their nets. And he called them at once, and they also followed him, leaving their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men. And Jesus and his companions went into the town of Capernaum. And when the Sabbath day came, he went into the synagogue, and he began to teach, much like this. The people were amazed at his teaching, for he taught with real authority, quite unlike the teachers of religious law. And suddenly, a man in the synagogue who was possessed by an evil spirit began shouting, Why are you interfering with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, this Holy One of God. Sorry for shouting, but that's what it would have been like. Jesus cut him short. Be quiet. Come out of the man, he ordered. At that, the evil spirit screamed. And he threw the man into a convulsion, and then he came out of him. Amazement gripped the audience, and they began to discuss what had happened. What sort of new teaching is this, they asked excitedly. It has such authority. Even evil spirits obey his orders. And the news about Jesus spread quickly throughout the entire region of Galilee. And after Jesus left the synagogue with James and John. They went to Simon and Andrew's home, and Simon's mum was in bed, sick with a high fever, and they told Jesus about her right away. And, and what did he do? He went up to her bedside. He took her hand, and he helped her sit up, and then the fever left her, and she prepared a meal for them. And, and that evening after sunset, many sick and demon-possessed people were brought to Jesus. The whole town gathered at the door to watch, and so Jesus healed many people who were sick with various diseases and He cast out many demons, but the demons knew who he was, and because of that, he did not allow them to speak. 
I love the Gospel of Mark. Well, where do we find ourselves now? We find ourselves in Galilee. So at verse 15, we find that Jesus is going into Galilee, verse 14, 15, and he's starting to preach about the kingdom. And we, we find him here next to the Sea of Galilee, which is, if you think about the geography, it's a sea fed by the Jordan River. Um, it, it's the eastern boundary of the region of Galilee. So you've got Galilee here. Uh, where's east? East is over here for me. I don't know. Galilee here. East over here, you've got the, the Sea of Galilee, region of Galilee, and then you've got a barrier here, and a few times in the gospel, Jesus crosses over Lake Galilee, and he spends some time in the non-Israelite section, and, and that's where we find the story about the pigs jumping over the cliff and all of that, but, but most of the time, Jesus spends here on the eastern shores, uh, <clears throat> sorry, on the western shores of Galilee because he's on the eastern side of the lake, I think. Does that make sense? If you want to understand the geography, there's a map probably in the back of your Bible, um, and we, we read here about Jesus choosing the first four of his disciples, and we meet Peter and Andrew, and, and they're busy casting their nets from the, from the shoreline. Uh, probably they, they're not wealthy enough to own a boat. Um, not a big problem. Fishing, the, the lake over there was full of fish. You could make quite a good living uh, fishing there. But, but Andrew and, and uh, Peter throwing the nets from the shore. Then we come... Next couple of verses to the sons of thunder, the sons of Zebedee, uh, James and John, and they're a bit more upscale. They've got a boat. They've probably been out overnight because they're fixing their nets now, and they've got a whole bunch of workers there as well. So uh, right there we see the different scale of people that Jesus is calling. They're, they're all fishermen, so they're not really hoity-toity people to start with, but, but we've got the poor Andrew and Peter, and we've got the slightly wealthier James and John. Fishing, as I said, is a good business over there. Uh, and we see Jesus in the context of him saying, repent and turn to God because the kingdom of God is near. He calls these people and we see them doing exactly that. We, we see them repenting from their old life and turning to follow Jesus wholeheartedly. Um, and, and don't get me wrong, fishing is not sinful. It's not wrong. But Jesus says, hey, I want to turn your life upside down. I want you to follow me and change everything. I want you to be ready to leave, to follow me. So let's have a look what happens here. Jesus walking along the shore of the Sea of Galilee, and he sees Simon and Peter, and he calls to them. The interesting thing here is that Jesus is the one who calls to Simon, Peter, and he calls to Andrew, and he calls to James, and he calls to John. Usually in those days, if you wanted to follow a religious leader, a religious teacher, you would go up to him and go, Oh, Master John, I have heard you in the synagogues. You are wise. May I sit at your feet and learn your wisdom. And John would probably go, You are so unworthy. Lick my boots first. I'm sure John wouldn't do that. But that, that's kind of the thing. In those days, a rabbi never went out and said, hey, come and be my follower. And yet, that's exactly what Jesus does. And, and he doesn't, as I said, he doesn't choose the socially prominent. He goes out and he, he doesn't even go to the church and say, right, notice time, who wants to be a follower of the Messiah? 
So he just walks along next to the seashore, sees these couple of blokes. He know, he's God, so he knows these are the right people. He calls them, he says, come, follow me. And he calls them, he says, they don't know it yet, but they're going to turn the world upside down. He says to them, I'm going to make you into fishers of men. He's going to turn them totally into different people. Peter, who, who starts out as this impetuous one who just, you know, Peter, he's the one who swings the sword every time. He's the one who's, who, who jumps to conclusions. He's the one, when Jesus says, all of you will betray me, he says, not me. He's the one, when he realizes that Jesus is the Messiah, and Jesus starts speaking about his death, Peter jumps up and goes, no, this is not going to happen. This is Peter, he's, he's the loudmouth of the bunch. He's, he's a fantastic guy. He'd probably be great fun at parties. But he's an impetuous guy, and, and yet Jesus is going to turn him upside down so that no longer is he called Simon, but he's going to be called Peter the Rock, and he's going to become the leader of the 12 apostles. And in fact, every single list of apostles in the Bible, Peter's name comes first. Isn't that incredible? And then you've got his brother, Andrew, and, and I love Andrew because if you read the Gospels, Andrew's the one that's always bringing people to see Jesus. Isn't that cool? Isn't that, I just love that. He's, he's like Peter's the, oh, Andrew's just the, hey, come and meet this bloke. I love that. James, fisherman who would be the first of the apostles to be killed for Jesus. And then you've got John, um, whom Jesus, well, whom, whom the gospel of John calls the disciple whom Jesus loved. They had a really close link. And Jesus calls these four men. And it's not out of the blue, because Jesus has been preaching in the region. He's been preaching to the crowds. He's probably been in the synagogues in, in other places, but he's been preaching. And yet, when Jesus, although Jesus preaches to the crowds, he calls to the individuals. He doesn't call them in the crowd. He calls them one to one. And he doesn't say, come and learn from me. He doesn't say, come and hear what my interpretation of God's rules are. He says, come and be my apprentice. Be my disciple. Maybe, maybe for the modern world, apprentice is a best, better word than disciple. Come and be my apprentices, says Jesus. What does he say? He says, I'm going to make you fishers of men. Mark doesn't tell us why Jesus singles out these four men, but he doesn't tell us why they don't take a while to think about it. He just tells us straight away that, that Jesus calls them and they go. They run. They leave their security. They leave their livelihoods. Um, I don't know how their marriages worked. Peter at least was married because he had a mother-in-law. I presume his wife was still alive. And yet he wanders around for years and years and years following Jesus. Maybe his wife went with him. We're not told. I don't know. And they leave everything behind to follow after this Jesus. And we look at the sons of Zebedee, James and John, and we say, what a bunch of nasty so-and-sos. 
Jesus calls them and they leave their old dad in the boat. Well, actually, if you think about it, they've got a boat, so they're not exactly poor. In fact, they're really not poor because they can afford to pay people to work with their dad. They're not leaving him in the lurch at all. He's got enough. He can survive. The point is that when Jesus calls, there must be prompt obedience. And, and as I look at the story of Jesus calling and their immediate reactions and following him straight away, the, the question that gets raised in my mind is, who is this man who calls? And I think that's the question that Mark wants us to have coming through our heads. What sort of person is this who can say follow and people drop what they're doing and they follow? What sort of man is this? And they called and they follow to take up a mission. Fishers of people. Uh, can I just say, what does it mean to be a fisher of a person? Anyone got an idea? Just maybe one, one word answer, two word answer? Big one? Hook them for the Lord? Yeah, I like that. I like that. Get a good bait. Bait and switch. Don't bait and switch. That's nasty. We tend to think fishers of men as just another phraseology for missionary. And it is. It is, but there's more than that. Um, if you look at the Old Testament, um, Ezekiel 29.4, Amos 4.2. Uh, um, I'll just look up one of those for you now. Ezekiel 29.4. Uh, we read, I will put hooks in your jaws and I will drag you out on the land with fish sticking to your scales. This is uh, God's uh, uh, prophecy against Egypt through Ezekiel. Uh, Amos chapter 4, 2, if you get some time tonight, uh, have a read through that. But, but the interesting thing is you look through the Old Testament images of fishing for people. It's always God doing it. And actually, it's usually in, in the context of judgment. So what is Jesus saying? Jesus is going through the region saying, turn, repent, change your lives 180 degrees, start running towards God because the kingdom of God is near. Hey, Simon and Andrew and James and John, I'm going to make you fishermen. Why? Because the kingdom of God is near. What does that mean? That means that the day of the Lord is near and people need to be hooked now before it's too late. I'm going to make you fishers now before I come as the great fisherman in judgment. These people are working for the kingdom. That's what Jesus is saying. He's saying, I want you to be fishers of people. I want you to be part of my great program. And yes, I'm, I'm going to come as the judge. And I'm going to come and, look, to be honest, if you're caught, if you're a fish and you get caught, it's going to be uncomfortable at best. Chances are you're going to die. He says to them, I want you to catch people and I want them to die to themselves and live with me. Jesus called them and they ran and they just followed him straight away. And their lives were turned upside down. And 
and, and I guess that raises the question for us. When have we heard Jesus call? How quickly did we answer? Have we answered? Have we said yes, but we're still sitting on the boat because the nets still have to be mended? Okay, so Jesus, he's now got at least these four apostles, and he's, he's walking with them, he's called them, their lives are upside down, and, and probably that day or the next day, probably, no, definitely the next day, because the fishermen wouldn't have been working on the Sabbath. So the next day, they've, they've been following him at least for a while, and he goes into Capernaum, which is on the Sea of Galilee, it's a little town there, it, it means village of Nahum, if you ever wanted to know that. Capernaum, they go into the synagogue, um, this synagogue in Capernaum is actually the one that was built by um, the centurion. You, you remember in Luke chapter 4-ish, uh, there's a centurion that comes to Jesus and, and says, I'm a commander of many, just command and it shall be done. Um, have a read of that, uh, Luke chapter 7, verses 5 and 9. The, this Gentile, non-Jewish person built the church in Capernaum. This is the place that Jesus is going now. Um, the, the synagogue was... Kind of like the church, it's where they read the law, where they spoke from the law, but it was also a community hub, so you'd have education and all sorts of things happening there um, during the week. Uh, it was usual for Jesus to go to synagogue uh, on the Sabbath, uh, and, and it actually became customary for Jesus to preach in the synagogues. Um, John 18.20 says that he taught in the synagogues and in the temple regularly. Uh, they didn't have a paid preacher in a synagogue, uh, what usually happened is that somebody from within the congregation, if you were a bloke, sorry ladies, if you were a bloke and you were 13 years old or higher, you could say something. You could speak to the congregation. Uh, of course, when you had a really nifty teacher that everyone's talking about, the first thing you do is you say, hey, would you like to come and talk in our synagogue? which is probably what happened here. Jesus comes into the synagogue and he's asked to speak. <clears throat> and as he speaks, something happens to the people in the church that morning. I, I don't know. I would have loved to hear Jesus preach. Wouldn't you, have, wouldn't you just have adored to hear him preach? Because, I, I don't know what it was. I don't think anyone can even put down into words what exactly it was about how he spoke or where he spoke or how he put things together, but, but, but something about it. What does Mark say to us? He says, he says, he went into the synagogue, he began to teach, verse 22, the people were amazed at his teaching. Why? Because he taught with, he taught with authority. They were used to, to these people who just waffled on and blah, 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 blah. Friar Bar said this, and Rabbi Bar said that, and Rabbi Bar said that, and I don't know which is right. And Jesus comes on the scene, and he's not Rabbi this and Rabbi that. He's just like, wow, this is what God says. The kingdom is near. The kingdom is here. Read the prophets. Can't you see? God says in, in Ezekiel, he says, turn. If you will turn, then I will save. And he would go, I don't know what passage he used, but every passage he can turn and say, look, it's all about the plans of God and, and the good news that God cares for you and that he, he wants to save you and that he wants to be 
in a relationship with you. Jesus spoke with authority. He didn't didn't refer to what other people thought. He just said it. This is what God says. He was a bit like a prophet, but more so. Because Jesus spoke from the heart and the mind of the Father himself. I'll tell you what, there's a sermon that you're not going to forget. If Jesus preaches to you, you would listen and you would go, I've, I've sat in so many church services and I have never got it. Perhaps you don't even get it, but you go, wow, there's something big here. I need more. And the people sitting in that church that day would have just been sitting there going, wow, who is this man? Isn't he the carpenter? Who is the, from Nazareth? Who is this man? And as he speaks, suddenly again, the action movie of Mark, suddenly as he speaks, we've got this man in the congregation who suddenly reveals himself to be influenced or possessed by an evil spirit. He starts yelling at Jesus. I don't know how long this man had been sitting in the church doing the right religious stuff. Oh, it's so easy to sit in churches and do the right religious stuff, isn't it? The Bible warns us that, that Satan's angels can masquerade as angels of light. Why not people? And we're not talking here, by the way, about a guy with a mental problem, necessarily. We're not talking so much about sickness as we're talking about someone with an evil, distinct being influencing them. And how comfortable are you guys speaking about demons? Because the fact is, they are real. The fact is also we shouldn't spend too much time on them. I think it's um, Karl Barth, the great theologian, said something along the lines of, don't spend too much time thinking about demons lest you become a little demonized. So they're not worthy of all of our attention. And we're going to find out right now why that is so. I mean, there are demons in the world today still. that They haven't suddenly disappeared. They're fallen angels. They were created by God, but but they rebelled and they joined Satan in standing against God and, and they hate God so much and so they stand out and in hatred and anger against all that God has made and all God's goodness and, and particularly God's people, us, particularly humans, because we are the height of God's creative um, endeavors. And, and, and these are powerful beings. Most often they, they influence. Over here we see them... Uh, almost possessing, having malignant power over this person. And it's not permanent in his case, but there's just, this man is being driven by something other and otherworldly. And we know 
that he's being driven by something other, usually in demons. If you read the, the, the Gospels, check me up on this. I'm, I'm pretty sure it's right. But in no case is a demon expelled and Jesus says to the man, I forgive you. People who have demons, have had demons in them are not forgiven. They have the demon thrown out. Isn't that fantastic? And it's no surprise that Jesus encounters demons in the very first chapter of Mark because Jesus is here as God incarnate. This is, this is more than just a little person on a little planet in a little galaxy in the middle of the spiral galaxy that we're in. This, this is cosmic. This is forces and powers at work here. And here is a man with a spirit in him who knows who Jesus is. And he knows that this man who is speaking with suddenly such authority is a threat to, to the existence of this fallen angel. And he screams out, he says to him, I know who you are. Why are you interfering? What between you and us, Jesus? Are you here to destroy us? And eventually he does, because when he's thrown out there, there is no more us there. And he says, I know who you are. Well, why, why does the demon say that? In fact, just about every time Jesus encounters a demon, they say, you are the Holy One of God. You are Jesus. Well, perhaps, and, and this, is, this is ludicrous, but perhaps they were trying to prevent Jesus from having any power over them. Um, in, in the ancient Near East, in, in those days, um, the exorcists, people who threw out demons, thought that if you wanted to get rid of a demon, you had to know its name. So I name you, blah, 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 and suddenly the thing is in your power because you've named it. Ridiculous, isn't it? And maybe the demon's going, ah, 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 I know you! Trying to prevent Jesus from getting rid of it <laughs> because he knows that as it stands there, it's standing in the presence of its great opponent. Now, can you imagine the contrast? The Holy One of God, perfect, spotless, for all eternity, righteous, and a demon. And Jesus says, shush up. There's only two times in the Gospel of Mark that Jesus says, be quiet. That's here, and that's when he says it to the winds and the waves when there's a big storm and the disciples think they're going to drown. Jesus says, shush. Enough of that. Get out. If you've ever been uh, watching on TV, they, they, sometimes you see things where supposedly they do exorcisms. Have, have you ever seen an exorcism on TV? Maybe watched a movie, The Exorcist or something? Usually, and back then, it's, it's much the same. There's a ritual and a rite and a 13 hours of screaming and yelling and this and that. And, and it's horrible to watch. John, horrible to watch. And I look at that sort of thing these days and I go, um, yeah, Jesus took about two seconds. <laughs> Jesus just said, get out. And the thing went, ah! 
One final, ah, throws the man to the ground, fits a convulsion, and then he goes. I mean, we should be aware that demons exist, that yes, there are forces that stand against God and stand against all that is good and all that God has made, but, but these forces come face to face with Jesus and at a little word, he just says, get out, and they run. What does Paul say to us? He says, stand your ground against the devil and he will flee from you. Not because, whoa, I'm really strong, but because, hey, I've got Christ in me. As Jesus confronts the powers of darkness, Mark brings up the question for us, who is this man? Not only does he speak in such a way that you go, wow, I've never experienced this before. But his words come with authority. Unlike anything else. Not just good sounding authority. It doesn't just sound like he's got authority, but he actually has it. And the people in verse 27, they are amazed. And, and the idea here is, is they're confused. They're, they're kind of like, what? 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 And, and there's total shock, but there's also this idea of what? A bit of fear creeping into there. Who is this man? See, the scary thing in that church situation was not so much the demon who screamed and yelled and threw the man into fits. That's pretty scary, but that's not the scary thing here. The scary thing is, who is this man who can say, get out and it has to go? I mean, they knew about evil influences. They knew about demons. They knew the strength, but they'd never encountered someone like Jesus. I think the reason Mark highlights this exorcism right at the beginning is because he wants us to understand that Jesus is the one with absolute authority. He said to us last week that Jesus is the king, that he is the one that God has spoken of long ago. The time that God has promised has come, said Jesus. The one that John said, make straight the paths for him through the wilderness. The king is coming. John the herald, Jesus comes, and straight away we see him acting as the one who rules and reigns. He speaks like the king, and he has the power of the king. And he has come to set his kingdom straight. And those that stand against him at a word are driven out. You know, the same authority that Jesus used against the demon, the same authority that aggravated them. And I can tell you right now, Satan hates it when God's word is spoken because God's word is just as powerful today as it ever was. He hates it. That's why we we hear about places where Christians are persecuted. Why would you persecute Christians? Well, okay, in some places Christians have been behaving not very much like Christians, but but why would you persecute those who stand for Jesus? Well, because they are standing for Jesus. But 
the same authority that aggravates the demons, the same authority that drives them out, that same authority awakens hope in the hopeless and the helpless. I mean, demons still shriek today. We're maybe not so aware of them in our culture, in our society, but, but Satan still is out to destroy all of that which God made. But we have Jesus. We have been claimed by the authority of God in Christ. And, and we read there in the last little bit that we looked at, we, we see the good news of the kingdom, the good news about Jesus becomes the good news that, well, it's, it's the good news of Jesus, but it becomes the good news about Jesus. And suddenly, in, in typical Mark fashion, the news about Jesus spread quickly, not just in that town or that synagogue, but throughout the whole region. Everyone's talking about this. Who is this man? And they, they bring all the sick and the demon-possessed to him for, for healing and, and for release. And at this stage, they don't really know who he is. They're still going, what? what? But they look at him and they go, I, I don't understand this Jesus bloke. I don't understand him completely, but something of what he says, it just hits me in a way that I've never been hit before. And, and he's got power. When he speaks for God, he speaks and he acts like God. And I don't understand, but, 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 but this, this, this man who's confronting us, who is he? I'm going to go to him. I'm going to hang around him. I'm going to be healed if I need to be healed. I'm going to go to him for release if I need to be released. But, but, but I'm still wondering, all these people are still wondering, who is this man that I will leave everything to follow? This man who speaks with such power. This man who acts with such power. Who is he? And at this stage in Mark, the movie, we see the opening music starting. Okay. And the title comes up on the screen. And next week, the movie begins. Gave up their lives for Jesus immediately. It's a real example. Let's stand and sing.